if you like it, support it. If it doesn't exist, create it. Mm -hmm, and I mm -hmm. feel like that's kind of what we did with D2S. Like that version of television did not exist in the Bay Area. So yep. in a sense, yep. we created it. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Rel and Friends. I am Rel, and this is the podcast where I interview my friends. And like I said on the last podcast, I am the lucky owner of a large network of cool, creative professionals. So yeah, I decided, you know, I love talking to them. I, I always gain insights. I look to my community for growth and for inspiration. So why do I hog that all for myself? I should stop that. And that's why I started the podcast. Today, we'll be interviewing my good homie, Haleen Overby, aka Halo, a longtime collaborator. We started a TV show back in 2001 called Distortion Static. It was a hip-hop TV show in the Bay Area. In the last couple of years, we've also been working on a lot of storytelling projects, video storytelling, which has been some of the most fulfilling work of my life. So... I felt it'd be perfect for him to be the second interview on this podcast and we can reflect a little bit on the past and talk a little bit about the future. Now I will admit we didn't get as far as we wanted to, but Pauline will be a regular on the podcast. Some updates on me. So I just actually, I don't know if this is going to make me sound lame or cool, but I actually just got a membership for Soho House. And I really don't know what I'm getting into. So if anybody out there is a member for Soho House, my goal is to just make more friends, create a larger community out here on the East Coast. I've been living in New York for about 10 years and all of my network's still on the West Coast. So I need a reason to get out more and meet more people that are creatives. Let me know if anyone out there has ever dabbled. Let me know your thoughts. Should I cancel my membership? Give me an update. In some tech news, I saw that Sure just released a built-in preamp in its new SM7 DB mic. So if anyone is not familiar, those are the mics that a lot of podcasters use. They're really made for in-studio, but it's really appealing because they're beautiful mics and it looks like it's just plug and play. And that's what I need. Right now, I'm using an old school Yeti, and I gotta admit, I don't really like it. I'm not a sound guy at all, but I can hear that it's not the best. I've worked in podcast studios, I've been in radio studios, and I'll tell you now, this mic is not the biz. And I need to get it off of my desk, because you can hear every bump. Sorry, John, but it's for example. Now, if you're wondering who's this random John guy that I'm shouting out, John is the producer of this podcast, and he does the hard work of editing my flubs and mess ups. And I got to admit, this is a tough one because me and Holleen like to goof around a lot, but I heard it already and he did a great job. Shout out to John Reyes, a.k.a. Stank Palmer. My social media, you got to hit me up, rel.mov on IG. I think it's rel.mov on TikTok, but IG is the way to hit me. Instagram, IG, whatever you want to call it, rel.mov. I'm over there. That's where I post the most. And also, Art of Storytelling, that's my company. I don't think I even said that on the last episode. This podcast is brought to you by Art of Storytelling, my media company. Art of Storytelling 
co on IG. It looks very similar to my TikTok. There's nothing on there, but these podcast clips will be let loose on there. So stay tuned. Now, my guest today is Halleen Overby, formerly known as DJ Halo. He still probably goes by Halo. Actually, we talk about that, so stay tuned. It's hard for me to talk to him because we're such good friends. He makes an amazing dish called Mexi Mac. He also used to be a tagger. Amazing DJ. He was one of my first favorite DJs ever. He held down the Bay Area mixtape scene for many years but he does none of that now maybe he does the mexi mac i don't know i haven't asked him but now he's a very talented photographer videographer director just a video lead at idea to form and watching his growth has been amazing a couple years ago he dropped a film highlighting his mother's last marathon run beautiful woman shout out to miss overby yeah, great stuff. Great stuff. The We didn't even talk about his film. We just got caught and just joking around. So I really hope you like this podcast. And if you don't, I don't care. We had fun. Halleen's social media. IG is H-A-Y dot L-O-W. That's IG. Make sure you follow him. Lots of beautiful images he posts all the time. He's better at posting than I am. So you might see some behind the scenes stuff with me and him. You'll most likely see it on his page before you see it on mine. So make sure you follow the guy, DJ Halo. Halo. Let's get into it. Off top, can you give me your favorite rap line? Oh, man. So that's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's so many. I have to go through the Rolodex. I can go to a J line. I can go to a Nas line. I can go to so many different lines. The one I would go to is actually the someone who I don't really rock with that much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> which is the Quali line. Not to get into too much, but, you know, just online, he's a little bit of a tyrant. It's kind of soured my whole feel about Talib, but, you know, amazing lyricist. And one of my favorite lines that he says is, even when we suffer losses, we count the victories. So yeah, 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 yeah. I always really like that line just because it has to deal with not being too down when you catch an L, but also really celebrating yourself and really celebrating things that, do go your way and, and recognizing that. So I think that's even the more important thing. Everyone says they're their harshest critic. That's pretty standard, but it's important to just celebrate yourself and recognize when you win. Even when we suffer losses, I count the victory. All right, so I like to start every interview with a memory, and I'm going to share one. Let me know if this reminds you of anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, can I tell this story? Yeah, please. <laughs> okay, okay. So, oh, it's beautiful. So, so our early days of like making trips to New York, uh, those are some of my fondest memories. I think we came out for what did we come out for? So, we were doing our TV show, and it definitely we're out here for some interviews of some sort, maybe Brooklyn Hip Hop Festival or something, right? It might have been that. It might have been that. Okay, okay. And uh, <laughs> just mobbing out to New York, like, with a bunch of friends was always so fun. And, you know, this was our prime, like, going out era, you know? So yeah. 
naturally one night we were just all completely sloshed and <laughs> roaming the streets of New York. <laughs> and my favorite activity to do back then was annoy my brother. <laughs> so naturally, me and Halo started singing Start Spreading the News by Frank Sinatra and doing the dance, the ar arm over arm dance. Like the Rockettes. Me to kick <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the Rockettes kiss, uh, and going da 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 da. Uh, good times, and uh, and me and Aris were just talking about this recently, and yeah, we were just really obnoxious yeah, <laughs> in no. front of the club. Just, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, those were good times. We, we deserved anything that would have came to us that night for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think it was close too. Oh man, it was bad. It was bad. <laughs> So that's actually funny because, like, and this is important to mention, too, you know, growing up listening to New York hip-hop, being born and raised in L.A., living in L.A., and watching New York hip-hop videos and knowing that lifestyle, it was just such a alluring place for that reason, you know. Even still, like, going to New York, it's still, like, this place of, like, oh, this is where so much happened yeah. on a cultural level. And I don't know if that applies to youth today. Like, maybe kids feel like that about Atlanta. Maybe they go to Atlanta. And yeah, that's like, what I'm thinking. You know, oh, this is where Amigos did their thing. This is where Jeezy did their thing. This is like the mecca of mm -hmm. hip hop in some respects. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But for all of our eras, it was New York. Yeah. It was, it was, from hip hop to like early streetwear to hip hop media, it's all New York. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. I think there was definitely other communities and other cities that were doing their thing. And L.A. was a part of that, but mm -hmm. it wasn't broadcasted the same way. That's another story. But like, yeah, yeah. I feel like it wasn't until like the 2000s, maybe like the early 2000s, where L.A. really started getting a lot of attention. Yeah. And, the, you know, the pop culture scene from streetwear to a lot of the rap that was coming out at that point. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. blog era i think brought back a lot of la yeah definitely and you could even go a little bit before that but i think like a combination of blog era the show entourage and oh, yeah. uh, fairfax like that really kind of like was yeah 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 not the catalyst but one of the big catalysts for yeah la being on the scene quote unquote for sure can you uh introduce yourself to people listening and what you do yeah, definitely. So my name is Halloween, otherwise known as Halo. I've been going more by Halloween lately, not dropping Halo, but I've been using my government name a little bit more. And this is like the first time I'm really announcing that, but I still go by Halo, still respond to exclusive. it. <laughs> right, exclusive. <laughs> exclusive. But uh, well, a lot of, well, I will say this too. A lot of people don't know that, that Halo is a combination of my name. It's H-A-L, the first three letters of an O, which is the first letter of my last name. A lot of people may not have realized that, but that's where Halo comes from. Why are you deciding to just go with the government more now? A couple of reasons. So I would generally go back and forth depending on where I was, like introduce myself as Halo or Halloween. I would kind of toggle back and forth. And part of it was just like, yo, pick one, you know, like you want to go by Halo, go by Halo and just do that. And there's a lot of people that just go by a nickname for their whole lives and nobody questions it. It was always kind of like, oh, my name's Halo, but this is my real name. It was always kind of like these two options. And the response I would get back a lot of times is like, oh, what do you want me to call you? And so 
a lot of it was just me being more decisive and actually choosing one and choosing one that was, you know, my actual name. But then also too, it was dealing with some clients that I felt it was difficult for them to call me a nickname. One of my older clients specifically, you know, it's just, it's just hard for a senior to call you by a nickname, you know? And I feel like that's something that a senior should know your real name. And I guess that's kind of like an old school, like a philosophy that I have, but- No, that no, makes sense. But, that, but after that, I was like, yeah. So after that, I was like, okay, let me really start embracing Colleen as a, a full-time name. And, and those that have been grandfathered in, they call me Halo, like, please don't stop calling me Halo. Like, that's great. I love it. And then can you just run down like your- creative path and then get into like your current creative identity creative journey this is i mean mm-hmm, we can go back mm-hmm. yeah like, music everything yeah so my first creative sort of outlet was percussion and a drummer so i was a drummer in middle school high school i was fortunate enough to go to a public school that had those types of resources i was at the point where i was looking at music schools to go to i went to san francisco state I was actually going to go to San Jose State because I wanted to be in the marching band and play drums. There was a, a well-known drum instructor there. But then I ended up going to SF State because it was just a big city and I wanted to be in a city. So I was a music major at State. A lot of people didn't know that, but I was a music major when I first got there. When you get to that level, it's a full-time thing. Like It's, like it's not just you playing with your friends anymore. Like This is what you're doing. So I was like, well, I still loved hip hop so much. I wanted to do radio at that point and kind of be like the do the right thing, Samuel L. Jackson character, you know, <laughs> radio VJ. And this was pre-internet radio. And but co- big college radio era. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that I ended up veering and going into video because one day my radio teacher was like, if you love music, don't go into radio. So I was like, yeah, that's heavy. <laughs> He's like, radio is not kind of people who love music. Like people who are in sales, that's your thing. But if you love music, don't go into radio. And so at that point I was like, okay, let me see what else is out there. I picked video and then that's where I met Ariel. And video is something I really took a liking to. And it was a lot of different mixtures of things from my past, like watching music videos, listening to music. I always was a fan of art and design. So all those things kind of came into video in a way. I was really into graffiti as well, so always had the black book with me doing that. And then DJing, of course. DJing was the constant, the constant thing. And that started in 97. And then my identity at that point was just very hip-hop, all things hip-hop, all things related to having to do with hip-hop. Very social, going to every show I could go to, every open mic. That was my outlet, and that was great for me, you know? So after graduating college, it was just this sort of, I was DJing, but also working in like other fields like education, pretty much just odd jobs and things like that. And then it wasn't until I was probably about like in my late twenties where I was like, okay, I want to start editing again. I want to really start getting back into it. So I wanted to try to find work as an editor and do that. So that was like my first intro back into this sort of creative lens of visual media. And then I bought my first camera in 2014. And that's when I really started getting into like the shooting aspect of it. And just remembering old things that I learned in school because those sort of composition rules never change. You know, that's when DSLRs became a thing and and technology, or not became a thing, but 
they were a lot more accessible. So the bar of entry to having a really nice camera and a, you know, video and photo was very obtainable. So I bought a camera off Craigslist in 2014, maybe even 2013. And then, you know, at that point when I had that camera, I was like, okay, it's a hybrid video photo camera. So now I can really learn photo. Not that that was a, a true goal, but I was like, let me, you know, look around on this camera and see what that does. So San Francisco, one of the most beautiful cities in the world, took photos everywhere I went and then really started like getting competent with that camera. And so at that point I was working as an editor. I got a couple jobs as an editor. So that really got my competency and my speed up in editing. And then I moved to LA in 2015, back to my hometown. And then the best thing that happened to me when I landed in LA, I went to the Inglewood Open Art Studios, met these guys who were doing video. I was like, yo, I do video too. I mean, just right off the bat, there was synergy. And then from that point, I was working with the city of Inglewood. And I, and I definitely fast forward because those guys, that group of three was, they were not Inglewood employees. So it took a while for them to get integrated, then for them to integrate me into the system. But we were doing work for the city of Inglewood. So working with the city of Inglewood was a really cool experience during those years. I also got what I consider my dream job working for NFL Network in the graphics department that really taught me about the myth of a dream job because like that obtainable dream job when you actually get it it's like okay i got it this is great and then you realize like damn this is far from a dream so yeah so, yeah i've <laughs> so, been there, been there man. yeah because it was extremely corporate i was punching a clock it was very mundane very sort of task oriented and i was like i love sports i love football and this is not my dream. Mm -hmm. So hold on, let's pause on that because I want to really dive into your professional career, but let's stick to like your early creative exploration era. So first drummer, DJ, graffiti, then videographer and photographer, distortion to static. Can you talk about what that was and where that fell in your creative journey? Yeah, that's a great question because I think one constant through that journey has always been music. It's always been art. It's always been expression. So no matter what I do, like there's constants and parallels in everything. So distortion of static was a great point because usually when you sort of transition out of college, and I can't believe I didn't mention D2S too. When you transition out of college, usually it's kind of like this journey is like, oh, where do I work? What job do I get? Or it's like, what do I do now? And what is that thing? But Distortion Aesthetic was a great transition because I never had that feeling because I was like, this is what I got to do. I got to do D2S. And so what D2S was, and it, it could be different depending on who you ask, but it was like a hip hop variety show in a sense. And the definition of D2S morphed into different things, but the premise of it in my eyes was to highlight hip hop culture that is being overlooked or underrepresented or disregarded. So that was like local music, that was underground music. It was like a beacon to the hip hop community in a sense. That's how kind of how I saw it. And I actually based it off of a couple of things too. I remember 
when I was watching public access TV in LA. And I didn't know what the show was, but I was flipping channels. You know, people don't flip channels no more, but I was flipping channels, saw Red Man just freestyling. And I was like, oh, this is dope. Also, there was a college radio show in high school that I listened to called We Came From Beyond, which was the Loyola Marymount station. It was a wake-up show, but it was a little bit deeper than a wake-up show in terms of like how deep they went into artists. So it was like that show, wake-up show, like those sort of slivers of quote-unquote real hip-hop that we were, had access to. That's kind of what the building blocks for D2S was. And people don't realize this now, but back then it's like not all hip-hop was being broadcast in the same way. It's like you had to go to certain places to find that type of hip-hop that you like. and Especially on video. Yeah, and especially on video, too. This is yeah, just from a music standpoint, like you had to really work. So Yeah, this is before YouTube, before like websites really is like, is TV yes. only. That was our main goal was broadcast. That was our main main mm-hmm. outlet, I should say. And a great quote that I heard a couple years ago that I think we could adapt to D2S was, and this is what somebody told me at the Underground Museum, which is a museum here in LA. He said, if you like it, support it. If it doesn't exist, create it. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. feel like that's kind of what we did with D2S. That's what I did as a person. If I like something, I supported it. And if yeah. something didn't exist, we created it. So that version of television did not exist in the Bay Area. So yep. in a sense, yep. we created it. Early ideation of what Distortion Static was like. So we started on public access in San Francisco. And when I first thought of doing a TV show, I was a hip hop head. We all were. But like, I didn't want the TV show to just be hip hop. And you had a different vision. I think what it ended up being leaned more toward your vision just because it's like kind of what naturally what the crew was into. And like, you know, once we started meeting artists that we looked up to and like we started throwing parties, like it was just a no brainer, man. Like it was what we needed, man. All right, listen up, guys. I'm sorry to do this. I got to take a quick break from this interview to let you guys know about something very special I have going on. About three years ago, I created this company called Art of Storytelling. And basically what we do is we sell cassette tapes of Slick Rick's The Art of Storytelling. Just kidding. So I run a full service production company. We do everything from ideation, pre-production, production, production, post-production, very much geared around solving problems through storytelling. So the next time you're in a brainstorm meeting with your boss and he says, we need to create a video to create impact or to make a splash for some sort of initiative, send them my way. I promise you'll be the hero. You'll be the office hero once they get that beautifully shot vertical video that everyone watches on their phones. Hit me up, rel.mov on IG. Chances are I have a video that you need already. Let's talk it through. All right, back to the program. I want to jump into a segment that I call For the Love of Money. money. It's a segment that I hope to help encourage transparency around money talk for creative professionals. My question to you is, in these early days of your figuring out your creative path, or your professional path, I should say, what was the craziest thing you've done for money? This is crazy. And I don't even know if these people exist anymore, but 
there used to be these folks that would walk down the street and they would have like balloons and chest set. Like they're not just like random shit strapped to them with the hopes that somebody would want to buy some. Like the balloon, like streamers, party hats, cowboy hats. Like you would just have random stuff. Wait, how do they have it strapped to them? I don't even remember, but it was like a harness. You know the people that come to the aisles during the baseball game with the hot dogs? Yeah. It's like that, but you're selling like chess sets or you're selling uh, shot glasses or you're selling balloons. And I don't even know how I did this job. I really don't. <laughs> but anyway, long story short, I was one of those people selling and you had to go door to door, quote unquote, door to door, office to office. Like, you know how they have the sign that say like no yeah. solicitors? Yeah. Like that's to keep those motherfuckers out. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I remember walking into like auto garages, like, Hey, y'all want to buy some balloons? Got some, <laughs> got some flashlights. Uh, you know, it's just, it was just really sad. And then we had a lunch break. And then I was just like, yeah, I can't do this. This isn't really for me. That was and, day one? Uh, yeah, that was day one. So I, I bounced then. So, that, so that, was, that was kind of a crazy story. I think another crazy story, too, is after school teaching mm-hmm. and kind of being thrown into that and working with youth. And that was really interesting because... I had no kind of training or anything like that. And I remember the feeling when after school, all the kids are running around, all the kids reported the after school program. Okay, I had this grade. And then before you know it, I'm standing in front of these kids like a teacher. And I'm just like, I have no teaching experience. And like, here I am having to entertain these kids about like, let's do introductions. Let's do homework for half an hour, you know. So, again, it was just like, how the fuck did I end up here, you know? Yeah. And it was really great work. I still think about that work a lot. But that was also kind of a weird thing that I did for money. Then if we talk about DJ gigs, there's always kind of some weird shit that happens in yeah. DJ gigs. And yeah, that's a whole like other that, conversation so. we could get yeah. into, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> man, I've seen all the different jobs you've had and what you had to go through to get to where you are today. So I want to like kind of talk about that journey a little more. So your professional career, like, so when you finally land a job that's in the field that you want, talk about like those outlets that you worked at and then where you're at now. So when I landed to LA, it was hard, you know, I moved back in with my moms. I'm grateful that I still have that lifeline in a way. But I remember like when I moved down to LA, this is me being 36 years old, I remember trying to buy groceries for the household and the groceries are like, you know, 25 bucks and vegetable. And it's like, you know, the shit got bounced back, you know? Mm. And so like, that was a really tough time, you know? And what did Biggie say? You know, being broke at 30 gives you the chills, you know? It's like, oh, yeah. shit, I had the chills. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, that's real, you know? And I yeah. think that that was kind of a, a zigzag Z moment where it's like, you got to go backwards to go forwards. I remember screenshotting my account. And one thing about me too is I never talk about money. Like I never talk about like how much I make. I never talk about how much I have. All this is for the purpose of this thing. But that's kind of like a rule with me. Like very humble with money and very like, for sure. you know, the game is to be sold, not to be told. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <All that stuff. laughs> uh, but it was a tough time. And I think doing a lot of work for free did a lot of work for, you know, just wages that were, you know, I remember doing a shoot and edit, like a shot of show, edited a piece, did like a three minute piece. 
I think they made it pay me like 150 bucks, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah. Yeah. So it's just that kind of work. But I think that that work is also, there's some benefits to that because I still love doing that work. Mm-hmm. And that was also some work that I put my all into. And it's still some of my favorite edits or some of my edits that I really look back at and it's like, I'm proud of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, early career, you have to put in those hours you know so it it does require taking some of those jobs that you don't you know you know you're worth more than but you don't have the work to prove that you are so it's like you just right right you got to put in the work man but at some point you got to say i'm not doing that anymore you know so career path (laughs) talk about the companies and then company you're at now yeah so nfl network was a temporary gig Mm -hmm. nine month gig so that was already going to be out but then i had another sort of lull did the Uber thing, you know, did that for a while. Mm-hmm. City of Inglewood, part-time. And then things kind of tipped in a way, like where I really started getting some quality gigs with the help of entities like Hard Worker, which is a creative agency out here in LA. Um, I started mm-hmm. just getting, you know, my faith. I've always been social, so I've always been able to promote myself. And people have always seemed to like the work that I do. And I think it's more than just liking that the work, but it's like understanding that like, I love to photograph art, but I'm also at the exhibit. I'm also at the show. So it's like, there's a genuineness that I have that comes across through the work. At least I like to think so. So that needs to be said. And then around 2019, 2020, you know, this is the introduction to Idea to Form. Idea to Form is the multidimensional creative agency co-founded by Tomas Alvarez and Lex Valdez, my life partner. And I started doing small gigs for them, along with all the other gigs that I was doing. You know, that was cool. And then eventually Idea to Form saw growth. They wanted me to sort of join the team in a way. So I was really happy to do that. Joining Idea to Form was a huge blessing because it really, well, and this is a lot of Tomas's tutelage, but it, it really helped me understand the, the value of worth, the value of focusing on big fish and not just being busy. Yeah. You know, and that's the John Wooden quote about like, you know, what is it? Busyness versus effectiveness or, you know, Mm -hmm. working harder, not smarter. And you realize it's like, okay, maybe I'm DJing, maybe I'm shooting one day, DJing the next, and then doing another DJ gig. All that's paying me, you know, 500 bucks. But it's like, what if I spent that time really trying to get that big fish? to get that $5,000 contract or something that's like more substantial. So it's just the idea of like not always going for that sort of quick turnaround gig, which and I think those serve a purpose too in a lot of ways, but yeah, just knowing how to navigate those spaces. So I2F is where you're currently at. And so you've had this path of being like super independent to working for the a corporation uh, you had a couple corporate. I don't. You didn't mention Bleacher Report, which I know you worked for for a little bit. You internet news outlets for a little bit, so you know that side as well. And then now I two F, which is a company, but still kind of independent. So all that experience. What would you say? So major versus independent argument. Like in your creative field as videographer, photographer, what do you recommend? What do you prefer? Yeah, that's a tough one. I think they both have their advantages. I think getting that check. Every, you know, 1st and 15th, like, that's great, you know. And I think being independent, I mean, you still have consistency there, but we also have to 
go out and fish, you know? So I guess if you were to use the analogy, it's like, do you want to, you know, go out and fish and learn that muscle of what that takes and learning those skills? Or do you just want to just get DoorDash all the time, you know? And I think sometimes there's advantages to both, obviously. And sometimes you need DoorDash. And sometimes like, you know, if you're dealing with a sick family member or you have a toddler or whatever, you know, you have to get DoorDash. So it's like, you can't do off time to fish. I think it depends on where one is in their life. I know this isn't a direct answer, but mm-hmm. it just depends, you know, it depends on who you are as a person and where you are in your life too. For sure. It's different for every person. For you, your lifestyle, what do you prefer? I definitely prefer the independent route right now. Mm-hmm. The freedom of being able to shape my day, of being able to take other work instead of having a lot of my resources go towards a nine to five or something like that. So yeah, 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 yeah. that's real. And I think too, the scope of nine to fives also changed too. Like mm-hmm. I think that the scope of NFL network was like a super antiquated way of working where it's like punching a time clock in at nine off at five. It was like a lot of jobs aren't like that anymore. So I think the nature of jobs are changing too. Right. So I think there's actually kind of a merger of the two worlds in some professions. So I would never say don't take a nine to five. Don't ever do that route. Or I would never say like, yo, you got to go independent, you know. For so. sure. For sure. Some people are better in a nine to five situation. Like, and they prefer clocking in, clocking out, going home and not thinking about work. You know, independent, yeah. you have the freedom of your own schedule, but you're kind of thinking about work like around the clock. You know what I mean? So it's just really what you're, you know, what you're into. But yeah, so you, most of your career being client-based as a way to make income, I want to jump into the segment that I call scope creeps. A scope creep is a term that creative professionals use to describe when a client's expectations or deliverables increase over time without any conversation about money or time compensation. What is your (laughs) most memorable scope creep story? I've actually been grappling with some of those instances, because I think that a lot of times, and I've been able to kind of steer clear of those types of clients, to be honest, because this is a really important question too for creatives. One question I always ask folks when they hit me up, like, hey, you know, need some video work for this and that. I'm always like, what work did you see of mine that interests you? Like, what work of mine did you like? Or It's obviously not a way to stoke my own ego, but it's like, if someone's like, oh, well, I just need a videographer. Then I'm like, okay, well, maybe there's other people. But if someone's like, I like what you did here because it had this feeling, then it's like I know they're in the right place. So that's something I've been doing for a while now. So it's prevented me from those types of situations. I think the clients that I could say that are a little bit harder to deal with is when like, I'm on set or in the space and they're, saying like, okay, we want this photo to look exactly like this. Or instead of it, them letting me do my own thing and using my own judgment, it's like, we want the subject to be here. We want this to be in the background and we want this sort of framing. So that was the client that we went back and forth a lot. And I was like, cause they wanted this art piece in the back and they wanted the client to be like angled and looking up at a certain way. And I was like, I don't know if that's going to look good, but it looked okay. But there was just so many different angles that could have improved that scope, I think. 
one thing that I did, and this is another thing for our creatives too, is that they said, here's what we want to do. And the rate is $2,000. And so I hear 2000, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, what do I got to do? You know, as opposed to like, let's draw it out. And then let me itemize each of these hours because if it's $2,000 and if it's over five days, then, you know, that's 200 a day. And I'm like, well, that's not really a whole lot. So it's about like really not saying yes to that initial drop, even though it might seem like a good chunk of change. Always too, I've always been adamant about like, I never close a deal, quote unquote, over text or email. Like, it's always a conversation. So it's never like, hey, you want to shoot photos? Shoot this for $1,000. Okay, cool. I'll be there. To, you know, it's like, I have to have a conversation. Even if it's discussed, there still has to be verbal discussion, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a rule of thumb that I always have too. Yeah. So this last part is just quick answer questions. What does the next five years look like to you? Oh, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's tough. I think it's just really just getting stronger. Yeah. I still feel like there's a lot of things that I need to improve on and just being more confident. I think with photography, it's a lot of it is about accuracy and it's just about having sharper accuracy. Like last couple gigs have not been my best. So just having fewer bad days on the job. It's like, you know, like my boy Tommy from Inglewood said, it's like, Sometimes you go for 35, sometimes you go for 13, you know? And so Mm -hmm. as a player, it's like you want to have the rest of those 13 games, you know? So, but in terms of five years, I think from a career standpoint, I really want to focus on growing idea to form and um, really having a strong video team and just strong teams throughout as well. So that would be where my focus would lie, I think. Cool, cool. And if you could say anything to the young you, what would it be? I would say get a camera. <laughs> One of my regrets is that I didn't start shooting sooner. Sure. I'm envious of young photographers. You know, I'm envious of photographers that are in the prime of their social lives and documenting memories of their friends and places they go. So I feel like I have, I've had an amazing life where I've been able to meet just some of the greatest people. Like a lot of times I always think about like, you know, I grew up in LA and what if I would have stayed in LA and what would that have done? And What if I moved to New York after high school? And I think as different as each of those paths would be, I have a feeling like there would have been some similarities in terms of where I would have ended up or how I would have ended up in terms of what my passions were, the type of people I would have met. But I think that being in the Bay, thinking about that focuses on the specific people that I've met. Mm -hmm. You know, you, uh, you know, D2S, Uh, shit, John, John yeah. Reyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout um, out John Reyes. I remember with John Reyes. I remember we <laughs> yeah. met when um, we saw Pacquiao lose. That was that was how we met. Oh, um, so that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a, yeah. So he's <laughs> was that Sed, Sed's birthday? Was that Sed? I don't know if that was yeah, Sed's well, birthday. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just remember because Sed it had like back to back like kind of depressing birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> and that, kind of like, that was a, I didn't go to that party, but you did tell me like the mood was just kind of oh, like, man. oh man, kind of like killed the whole mood of the whole party. <laughs> I mean, you seeing Pacquiao get knocked out. That was, that was tough, <laughs> man. I remember joking saying like, oh man, you could hear the screams from in Daily City from here, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, that's so funny. Oh man. But also, okay, also too, that was also like the start of like the meme culture because that was when you first started seeing like you know Simba with Pacquiao and like yeah. you know the, the boys in the hood want to see a dead body like. <laughs> <laughs> he was meme to like crazy yeah yeah that was like the first like the not the first but you know that was a uh, tough one but that's just the way of saying like there's just so many uh great people that i've met and great memories and i've always been a, one of my biggest assets is i've always been a great judge of character and mm-hmm. i've met oh, just true. so many great people um, yeah, yeah, along yeah, the yeah, way, yeah. So. yeah if, if, if it's someone you introduced me to and vouched for, man, they always have been good people, man. Always. To yeah, I2F, yeah. everyone in I2F, man, all good folks. So, my last question is a segment we call Drop a Gem on Them. Hey, Lo, can you just drop a gem on the listeners, please? Um, once, once again. again. <laughs> once again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go back to the Qualifo. Oh, yeah. Where he said, even when I suffer losses, I count the victories. It's a two part expression that I love where he says that because it's about everyone's going to take L's. You got to bounce back and you got to understand that's part of life. And then, yeah. Counting the victories is important too because when you win, you have to recognize that and you have to celebrate that. You have to really understand that, especially in certain lines of work, victories might be few and far in between. So whenever that does happen, take a moment, celebrate yourself, go by that thing you are eyeing, go relax for a day, you know, do something for yourself and really celebrate you, your loved ones, whenever there is yes, a victory sir. and whatever that means to you is I acknowledge. So Agreed, agreed, man. And uh, we're going to wrap this up, but man, like, I feel like we just scratched the surface. You're gonna have to like get hop on here again. We could talk about D2S. We didn't talk about your film. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot we could get into. Oh man, yeah. So uh, more to come, man. I feel like all we talked about was the struggle. I don't want to leave <laughs> listeners with a halo just talking about the struggle. There's a lot of wins that you mentioned that we got to talk about too. So, so more to come if you'll come back. Oh yeah. We got to talk about our client woes too, man, because we've had some <laughs> issues with clients we've worked with too. It's been a lot, and I th- and I think like. Sometimes I'll talk to young people and they'll be like, man, you've done so much. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just old. <laughs> like, that's what happens when you... You're you old, know, but you never you know, stopped. When, that's the thing. You never s- right, stopped, right, never exactly. settled. You <laughs> know what I mean? And that's part of it. You got to go through right, these struggles right. if you want to build that life that you really want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think the one, the one thing to memorize too, this is the one thing I'll say at the end, is that no matter who you are, if you're an artist, if you're a creative if you're able to live off of that, doing that creative work, it doesn't matter if you're renting a room, it doesn't matter if you're sharing a room. Mm-hmm. If you're able to live off of that, then you're a success story. Yep. Point blank, period, full stop. Like, that's what I think. So if you ever think to yourself, like, damn, I don't have enough space or this and that. But if you're able to pay rent off of being a creative, mm-hmm. you're in that 10% of people because... That's a very rare thing. So I just want to say that too, you know. Drop the mic. We're done. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right, Halo. Peace. All right, I told you guys we were all over the place. And we barely talked about professional stuff, but whatever. This is what you get when you're with Rel and friends. This is like hanging out with Rel 
and his friends. Some of you will be excited, some of you will be greatly annoyed, but it's just like the scene you could imagine me and Halo doing out in New York City, doing the rocket kicks. That's the Real and Friends podcast. If you don't like it, go listen to Drink Champs, okay? That's it for this week. Shout out my man Halo. He will be back because we barely scratched the surface. And one thing I realized is that we have... I didn't need this podcast to remind me, but we have a long history together. And I think I'm going to have him back to just talk some very specific things. So stay tuned for that. Until next time, my friends, hit me up. Rel.mov on IG. Artoststorytelling.co on IG. Other social medias to come. All right, y'all. See you next time. Peace.